Hello to all Thunderbird and antique car lovers. This is John R. Lewis coming to you from Morgantown, West Virginia. I am in a little bit different of a location today. I'm not in my basement studio. I'm actually in my family room. Well, I hope this podcast finds you doing well and you had a fun week with your antique cars. I forgot to mention to you last week that my T-Bird, Blue Thunder, won a trophy. My T-Bird is a cross between being an all-original car and modified, so I'm always very surprised when I win an award. It was a small car show too, so that always helps. Hey, I want to clue you in to the next couple weeks about the podcast. Next week, I'll have a podcast about T-Bird music. I have found about four songs I think you'll enjoy listening to. That's about our beloved Thunderbird. Uh, Two of the songs you probably will recognize. But the other two songs, one was given to me by a friend, and one I actually found online. I didn't know they existed, but I like them. So I hope that you'll enjoy it. So, the following week, after the music, I'll be discussing the third generation of Thunderbird, and my favorite, the Bullet Bird. In fact, the car I refer to as Blue Thunder is actually a 1963 Bullet Bird. As always, I'll put information on decoding the 1960 T-Bird on my website, bluethunderinthehills.com. Now, let's start this week's discussion on the last year of the Square Bird, the 1960 model. This model will actually finish out the second generation of Thunderbird. In 1960, we see a plain spear on the side of the Thunderbird with the Thunderbird script written out. You'll notice three hash marks towards the taillights, and there are now three smaller taillights on each side. The grille in the front features horizontal slats with vertical bars and a square mesh behind them. There is also a change to more plastic gun sights on the fenders. And I do apologize to you last week, I didn't mention that there are now gun sights on the fenders. On the C-pillar, we now find the Thunderbird with the outstretched wings and not the circular badging. As always, there is an expansive accessory list. Just listen to the accessories that you could have gotten on a 1960 Thunderbird. Cruise-O-Matic for $242. Overdrive Transmission for $144.50. Master Guide Power Steering, $75.30. I tell you what, of all the options, that had to be a great one to buy. These cars were heavy. Power Driver Seat at $92.10. Center Console Radio, $112.80. I have seen these radios in place, and they are really cool being down in the Center Console. Uh, Magic Air Heater at $82.90. Select Air Conditioner, $465.80. It meant a lot to be cool in 1960. Tinted Glass at $37.90. Outside Rear View Mirror at $5. Rear Fender Skirts, $26.50. They must have sold a lot of this option because once again, I've mentioned it again and again, I hardly ever see a Thunderbird without Fender Skirts. Aquamatic windshield washers at 1370. 
I believe this option, I believe the windshield wipers came on when rain hits your window. I believe that's why it's called Aquamatic. Safety seats at 2280. Backup lights at 950. Something we take for granted today. You used to have to order backup lights. Five white wall tires at 3570. <laughs> I wish white wall tires still cost that. The leather seat trim at 10620. Heavy duty batteries at 760. Two-tone paint, 2580. And you think about the cars of the late 50s and early 60s and how much we admire their paint schemes. 2650, or I'm sorry, 2580 seems like a bargain. You could still order the 430 cubic inch Lincoln engine. That was a $177 option. And it also had swift and sure power brakes at 4320. Again, a bargain to stop almost a two-ton car. Thunderbird is still on a roll. Production for 1960 totaled 80,398 for hardtops and 11,860 convertibles. If you think about it, that is quite a roll for a third-year design. Total production was 92,843 cars. The exciting news for 1960 was an option of a sunroof. This was a first for an American automobile since the 1940 LaSalle. Ford produced 2,536 of these models, and these are really highly sought after by collectors today. The sunroof was actually a patented design by a German manufacturer known as Goldie & Company. They established an office in Detroit in 1958, and Ford overall had been looking at different roof designs. One of the first roof designs we find Ford looking at was a T-roof. Now the T-roof didn't make production. I'm not sure why, because I thought it was kind of a handsome option myself, but the T-roof never made it into production. Also another roof idea for the Thunderbird was two sections at the edge of the door that unfolded popped up so that it would make the ease of entrance into the Thunderbird a little bit easier. Because remember, the Thunderbird was only about 53 inches tall. So you did have to kind of glide into the car. You did have to get low and glide into the car. That option did not make uh, production either. But it's funny, the edges of the roof coming up around the doors, we'll see this concept again on the next generation. Also, one of the things that happened um, with the advent of the sunroof being placed into the Thunderbird's roof was some scam artists took advantage of misinformation that was being given out by car magazines at the time. Car magazines said that Ford had produced a little over a thousand sunroof models with the roofs painted gold to celebrate this option. We know of no gold roof Thunderbirds with sunroofs that were produced by company records or uh, were produced in an aftermarket. But a lot of people would paint their roofs, not a lot, 
but several people would paint their roofs gold and try and sell these sunroofed cars as extra special collectible additions. Records don't exist that there is ever gold roof, sunroof Thunderbirds. One of the things that Ford was worried about with the sunroof once they installed it in a couple test models was it did produce turbulence. And that turbulence and buffeting wasn't very comfortable for the passengers. So they designed a, I think we would call them wind splitters today, but they, well, for lack of a better term, their production, this bar ran across the top edge of the roof and was known as the towel bar by Ford engineers inside the business. But the point of it was, was when the air flowed through it, it broke up the turbulence and the passengers had a much more enjoyable ride. Now what's interesting, so they tested this and one of the test subjects that was in the car while they were testing it, lit a match and sat in the back seat. The car got up to 60 miles an hour and the towel bar did such a great job of breaking up the turbulence that at 60 miles an hour with the sunroof fully on, the match didn't blow out in the back seat. So with that being said, the sunroof met production status and we did have the new sunroof option. The 1960 Square Bird sold well and the public liked them. The press though, wasn't quite sure what to do with this car. In the press reviews, uh, they would not give them credit for being a sports car, sports coupe. They would give them somewhat of a credit for being a luxury car, but not a full-fledged luxury car like your Lincolns. But ultimately, what almost every car reviewer would say was they liked them and there was nothing else on the road like the Thunderbird. And indeed, they were true. There was nothing else that reached the excitement of a little sports car and the luxury of a bigger car. There was no other car like it. This is 1960 and there's still no competitors for the Ford Thunderbird. If we look at auction prices, we'll see that for a 1960, auction prices tend to fall around 31,350 for convertibles and about 15,950 for hard tops. Again, when you compare that to a base price of $3,755, with most Thunderbirds costing around $5,000, I think that's a good. I think that's a good investment. One of the uh, things I want to say again, I probably will repeat this a hundred times: Thunderbirds offer a great chance to get into the um, hobby of antique cars. When you think of a total production in 1960 alone of almost 90 thousand cars of over 90,000 cars there are good going to be good clean examples out there for you to find so I'd always encourage if you want to start getting into the antique business and you like cruisers not hot rods if you like cruisers and uh, Thunderbirds are a good way to go and with the prices of 15,950 for a hard top that's not too bad to get into this hobby all right some other interesting stuff that happened in 1960 with the Thunderbird and I've never got to see uh, these cars that I'm going to tell you about in person, but it's on my bucket list to do. Ford received an order from Allegheny Ludlam, Ludlam Steel Corporation of Breckenridge, Pennsylvania, to produce a T-Bird 
using their T306 alloy. Well, T306 alloy is actually a hard stainless steel. This was to showcase the metal's versatility. Overall, two stainless steel Thunderbirds were produced. The engineers knew that this metal was going to be tough on their stamps and dies for the body panels. It was a much harder metal than the mild steel they had been using for T-Bird parts. Plus, this stamping was going to take place at the end of the 1960 production run. So if you think about close to 90,000 cars being sold and all those body panels being stamped, these stamps and dies were probably coming to the end of their usefulness. But I thought an interesting decision that the engineers made before the stamping of the stainless steel, they stamped out about a couple months worth of body panels, not only for production needs, but also for repair needs from around the country. I thought that was some good thought to especially take care of what repair needs were going to be. The engineers were correct. The stamping for the two cars did damage the dies and they weren't usable after they got done making the parts for these two cars. Uh, the body panels were stainless, but the rest of the Thunderbirds were a 1960 underneath. Uh, to stop corrosion between the stainless steel and the steel underpinnings, the panels were attached actually with copper washers. I think it's interesting to note that these two cars went on the display circuit and did so through 1981. So from 1960 to 1981, these cars were being shown. That's quite a run, especially considering all the design elements uh, that had changed over the course of almost 21 years, that these T-Birds were still relevant up until 1981. Uh, the cars do still exist and have been restored, so that's why it's on my bucket list to get to see them. Well, guys, that finishes my T-Bird details for this week. I hope you find some of the information interesting. Uh, the Thunderbird, as we see, is loved by the public and sales keep climbing. Will the third generation of Thunderbird keep the streak alive? We'll see. In two weeks, uh, we'll find out. Don't forget, special session next week on T-Bird Music. Until then, don't forget to drive the antiques. This is John Lewis checking out.